Too big for your britches. Have you ever heard that? Uh, don't, don't think yourself to be more than what you are. Uh, as a matter of fact, let me ask you this question here. Maybe you've experienced this. And, and husbands, I hope you're, you're with me here, okay? All right, just kind of set it up that way. Have you ever taken the credit for something that someone else has done? Now, if you're married, you probably have. Right, men? That's awfully quiet in here. <laughs> Apparently, confession time, this is a little bit of my weakness in my family. On more than one occasion, I have taken the credit for something that my lovely wife has done. And she does such a good job at it, I might as well take the credit, right? I look good. I was reminded just the other day about this. Paul and I and Sophie were driving. Uh, we were shopping. We were going out shopping. Uh, well, the girls were shopping. If you understand, what I'm I was along for the meal, right? I was driving because we knew I knew we were going out to eat somewhere. So sure, I'll take you to the stores you want to go to. And I was, while they were in the stores, I was frantically on with my credit card company, going, "There's a limit." No, okay. Anyway. That's for my 12-year-old daughter who has now figured out what shopping is. She's just excited about this thing. Anyways, they're shopping. I go along for the meal. And as we're driving home, Sophie from the back seat asks a question. She wanted something to be done or needed something to be done, and she asked if that had been accomplished. And I, thinking I'm doing well, look back towards where she's sitting and go, yeah, I took care of that. To which my lovely wife looked at me and said, you took care of that? <clears throat> I knew something was up by the way she phrased the words. How many of you know in that moment, the one flesh argument doesn't really go very far, right? We are one flesh, right? Isn't that what the Bible says? So you do it. I take the credit. That's kind of That don't fly real well at those times. Um, and so... Of course, Paula was absolutely right, and she had taken care of the situation. I, take, I try to take credit for it, but she really deserves the credit for it there. <laughs> so now you know our little secret. When something good happens in our home, if I tell you I did it, you might want to check. <laughs> you know, so. Well, this is actually what Jesus is warning the disciples of right now. This is kind of what we're going to see in our narrative. Jesus is going to teach a parable here uh, contrasting a master versus a servant. And what he's saying here is he's, he's telling us, and I'll kind of give you the, 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 the end of the story kind of up front. He's telling us, remember who you are. Remember who your position is. Remember that I am God, I am the master, and you are the servant. Now, when we hear terms like master and servant, we automatically start thinking about slavery, and we, we think back to our own history of slavery. I want you to understand that but we're not, we're not going to get into whether slavery is right or wrong. The Bible does not teach, let me say this, the Bible does not teach that slavery is right. The Bible deals with the facts of the day, and that was a fact of the day that there was slavery. Uh, the reality is, is that it's more, and for our mindset, for us to understand it, the master-servant relationship is more of employee-employer. 
all right? They were working for their livelihood. They were working for this person type thing. It, and the idea of the story that he's going to give to you, I want you to understand, is he's talking about a very good master taking care of a very good servant. This is not animosity. There's no anger. There's no putting a person in their place. This is a, a good, if you would, a good employer taking care of a good employee. So I want you to understand that as you read these terms today and we look at this to understand the context of what he's talking about. And so Jesus gives this parable of a master versus a servant. And what he says here in verse number seven, he says, will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he comes in from the field, come at once and recline at the table? Well, obviously, Jesus is laying out the fact that there's a servant and there's a master. The ser master has his position and the servant has their position. The, the master is over the servant and the servant has duties and, and responsibilities, just like an employee would have responsibilities in the job that they are working. They would have a certain job description, if you will. And he says, if you, have, if you are a master with a servant and your servant has to go out and their job description is to go plow and, and to go keep the animals, and then when they come in for the evening, evening meal it's their job description to go make the meal well you as the master would not tell your servant when they're supposed to come in and make the meal that well come and just sit at the table with me let's sit back and, and recline and, and why in the world would you not do that you know why you ready because there would be no food to recline and eat <laughs> that's the service job to go and to, to make the food in this scenario here okay and so the the the, if you invited the, the employee, if you'll let me use that terminology, who is supposed to be making the meal that's going to feed uh, you and eventually feed him later, uh, and you say, come and sit at the table and relax with me, then the work never gets done. And if the work doesn't get done, then both of you go hungry at the end of the day, you see? So it makes perfect sense that the master would instruct his servant, as we see in verse number 8, prepare supper for me, dress properly, and serve me while I eat and drink. And afterward, you will eat and drink. So it makes sense that he would do this and ask him to do it. Go prepare yourself. I mean, after he's in the field plowing and he's, and he's busy uh, taking care of the sheep, you want to make sure the servant washes his hands, right? I mean, that's pretty important, right? So he says, go clean yourself up. Go, go make dinner. Go do what you're supposed to do. And so since the servant is simply doing what he is to do and and the servant is being compensated for what he does. He has a place to live. He has food to eat. He has he has his needs taken care of. He's not just doing this uh, simply because uh, 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 that he's forced to. Is that this is how he's making his livelihood. This is how he is living as the servant there. Maybe another picture for you to get would be a, a real rich person who has servants, uh, butlers, maids, and stuff like that as well. Uh, they're compensated with living and, and pay and all that kind of stuff. So he's compensated this way. And so, Jesus now, since this is the job of the servant, this is the job of the employee to do these things, Jesus asks an obvious question. He goes, since this is the case, verse 9, does he thank the servant because he did what, he, what was commanded? So, Jesus is like, did he thank the servant? Now, listen, this is not talking about pleasantries or proper manners. Hopefully, you grew up and you were taught that if someone does something to you, like hands you something or gives something to you, you respond as what? Thank you, right? That's just common manners. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the, the master going overboard, going, oh, thank you so much. I, I wouldn't be able to make it without you. You're so important. You're so, and gushing over this gratitude. Uh, he wouldn't do that because the, the servant was simply doing the work 
that he was supposed to do. If you pay someone to do something, you expect them to do it, right? Whether they get thanked or not, that's kind of the deal. That's what he's saying here. You wouldn't expect that the master would respond to the servant saying, you know, thank you so much for, for doing this. You've done so much because you just did what I commanded you to do. The master wouldn't respond that way. Hopefully the servant doing his task would, would do it well, would do it with a good and right attitude, uh, which he should have done, uh, which, which would also bring negative consequences if he didn't. But the point here is that the servant was simply doing what the servant was supposed to do, what was in the servant's job description to do, and therefore didn't need overarching gratitude by the master to, to, to thank him so much for what he had done. And this again, this isn't just talking about pleasantries here. So Jesus applies this truth to the servant and the master. He says, so you also, if that was you, and he says, since you are the disciples, and really what he's tying this in is because God is the master of all and we are the servants of God. So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what is our duty. In other words, God as our master has things for us to do as followers of Jesus Christ that are, can I use this word, actual requirements for us to do, all right? Any, anything and everything that's given to us in this book that's given to us as followers of Jesus Christ that we're supposed to follow the principles, guess what? It's not a suggestion and it's not a question. It's are you following me and if you're following me then this is your requirement. This is what you are to do as a servant of God. And so that's what he's laying out here. We are, as followers of Jesus Christ, using the examples that Jesus used prior in this chapter, we are to stay in God's word and obey God's word so that we avoid temptation, so that we escape from temptation. That's a requirement for us. We are, we are to notice when, when we are being tempted, and we are to strive to obey God's word to stay out of that temptation uh, or, and stay out of that sin. Now, we don't, we don't succeed in that all the time. We recognize that. That's why God promises to forgive us when we do sin. But the reality is, is that this is a requirement of us to know that when we are tempted, and how do we do that? To know God's word enough, to know what is true, to know what is right, that we don't give in to the temptation and give in to sin. He says we as followers of Jesus Christ are, to, are required to have faith in him. We are required to trust him. We are required to obey what his word says again, that's proving that we trust him. We, we are required that by our faith, our actions will prove out our faith. And that, that's required because we are followers of Jesus Christ. This is how we are to live our lives. Again, we are not perfect in this. But the reality is, is that we are to live uh, by faith, putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ far much more than we are to worry and stress and be like the world, you know. Uh, and and, and I, I'm going to tell you something right now. I'm going to tell you something. That's a lot easier said than done. Do you recognize that? That's why you have to be faithfully in God's Word. That's why you have to be faithfully in prayer. That's why you need to be faithfully around the people of God. That's why you need to have people praying for you, walking with you, helping you through. Because I'm telling you, in the day and age that we live in today, this is not easy. Confession number two in today's sermon. Are you ready? I struggled all week with my faith. I get done preaching a sermon on faith. This is how Satan works. I got done preaching a sermon on faith last week. And I go through the entire week going, God, I'm struggling trusting you. 
I'm t- I mean, I know you don't want your pastor to say that, but I'm just as human as you are. Okay? God, I know what your word says. God, I know that you're there. I uh, was sitting down, as most of you did, throughout the day, whenever I had time yesterday, I threw the chores and things that I was doing, watching the remembrances of 9-11 and, and listening to new things that I'd never heard before and stuff like that. And, and I caught myself going, I can't watch any more of this. But God, where are you? And he's like, I'm right here. I never left. I'm still in control. But my feelings were like, see, that's why you don't base your faith on your feelings. You put your faith in the object of the security of who God is. And sometimes you have to, despite your feelings, say, God, I'm trusting you no matter what. Uh, I'm trusting you no matter what. Why? Because God says that's what we're supposed to do. And the reality is, is that God tells us that's what we're supposed to do. Not just so that we get obedient points, okay? God's not in heaven going, there's another obedient point. Okay, that's good. No, no not because we get obedient points, because he knows the, re- the end result of us putting our faith in him is the benefit for us. The security that I have in him, the way that I can keep going because I am trusting him. What Jesus is basically saying here with these illustrations and the others in following the word of God is this. He's saying, this is basic Christianity. This is Christianity 101. This is what we are supposed to be doing all the time, trusting in him, staying out of sin, make sure that we're obeying the word of God, make sure that we're doing what he tells us to do. And the reality of this is, is that none of us, even though we, we, we say the words or even though we, we say give me the faith, or I have this faith, or I'm saying I have this faith, or, I, or I, I'm avoiding this temptation, even though we use that kind of terminology, none of us do it in and, in and of our own strength and in and of our own power. We can't. It is only when we completely surrender and go, God, help me to see the temptation. God, help me to see, uh, to have the faith. God, give it to me. When God, God is the one behind us giving us the power to do this, we must surrender to have it. It's only when I surrender my feelings, right, instead of me being consumed in my feelings of what I see, it's when I re- surrender my feelings and go, God, despite how I feel, despite what my eyes see, despite what is going on, I am going to trust you. Then God comes in, the, the Holy Spirit comes in and says, yes, I give you the power to do that. I give you the power to undergird that. All of us have situations in our lives that we would say that were so difficult in our lives that, that truly there's no way we could get through it without God. We recognize that. Maybe you're walking through it right now, and the only way you're going to get through it is by uh, trusting in God. So he's saying here, listen, we need to recognize (laughs) that God is God, and I am not. And so that's what he's drawing out in this story. So I want to give you just some applications to this uh, in that thought. And I have to be very honest with you. I had about three sermons from this one passage ready to go, and I didn't know which direction to go, so we're going to find out together where we're going here. Are you ready? Okay. It's going to wind up being all three probably put, put together, but there's some thoughts I really want to give you, some things that are really, can, can I be honest, there's just some things that are really on my heart heavy right now and what we're living in, and church, you've got to know these things, and you've got to have them to survive. Do you hear me? You've got to have them to survive because Christianity right now, especially in America, is falling apart. All right? 
And I want to I explain that to you here in, in just a moment. But there's three things I see in this that, that we need to have. We need to recognize, and the main thing that God wants us to know is that, that He receives all the glory. Everything that we do in our lives, everything that happens in our lives, the way that we serve Him, the way that we obey Him, He receives the glory. We don't. I'm not God. If I, if I avoid temptation, then praise God, because I avoided temptation. If I didn't go into that sin, praise God, I didn't go into that sin. If my faith is strong, praise God, because He's the one giving me the strength for that faith. There's a real movement in our society today, in America today, to, to make us God, and this is an evangelicalism, to make us God and make God not. For us to go, look at how good I am, look at how great I am, I'm as powerful as God, I've got as, I can do all the things that God can do, and so if I avoid temptation, look at me. No. Paul said these words, and, the, uh, uh, and pointing us to Christ, he says, follow me as I follow Christ. When I'm following Christ, you follow me. But listen, man cannot do anything, you cannot do anything, I cannot do anything without the power of God. Therefore, God receives all the glory. With that being the premise here, with that being the foundation, these three things that I think that we need to see here is number one, we need, listen now, and you might want to jot this down, but you know this, we can't quit. Don't quit. The servant had responsibilities that he was supposed to do, and he had no option to quit. There was no retirement plan. There was no, this is going to end sometime. This, these are my responsibilities. These are my duties. Until I'm in the grave, I can't quit and church as a follower of jesus christ as believers the same is true of us the same is true of us until we are in glory we have responsibilities to do things that god wants us to do to live according to the principles of the word of god to walk with him uh, and to live from now listen what i am telling you and what i want you to understand is that these are not burdens upon us when we actually live out the word of God, when we actually do what God tells us to do, when we are obedient, even above and beyond, apart from what the, what the world is saying, do you realize that trying to follow Jesus is really opposite of what this world is doing right now? What the Bible says is black, the world is saying it's white and blatantly saying it's white. And what the Bible says is white, the world is saying it's black and blatantly saying it's black. I mean, there's no question whether or not you're playing church anymore, or you're playing Christianity anymore. It's black and white almost anymore, right? And so the reality is, is that when we are willing to follow and obey the principles of the Word of God and live them out, I promise you that this is the best life that God wants you to have. Okay? Not, you're not the best life now so that I'm prosperous and have all this kind of stuff. It's the fact that in order for you as a follower of Jesus Christ to navigate this world, you cannot do it without following the principles of the Word of God. Period. You can't. You will fail. You will struggle. You will be miserable. It is not what God wants. But God says if you will obey me, if you will follow me, if you will do what the word of God says, then I promise you, you will find peace, happiness, and joy in a world that is going to hell. You will find it. But it is not in the fact of you playing the world's game and playing church. You've got to, you've got to surrender. Today is the day, I want to tell you right now, we'll just mark it this day. Today is the day the games are done. You want to play Christianity, you're going to be miserable. And if you want to play Christianity, you're going to fall and you're going to go into the world. I promise you. 
Because that's what's happening with every person now that is playing the Christian game. We are now seeing the, 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 the wheats and the tares being separated like crazy. I believe it with all of my heart. People that are saying, I played the game of Christianity so more, are coming out now saying, I no longer have faith in God. It's happening all over the place. You know where it's happening the most? In the evangelical pulpits. I was listening yesterday to a man that I'm sure many of you have listened to and heard, uh, Dr. David Jeremiah. And he made the statement today, made this statement that uh, in a two-minute clip that he listed three different pastors who were well-known, Bible-believing, evangelical pastors who have come out just recently saying, I believe in God no more. I'm walking away from the faith. I am not going to preach this any longer. As a matter of fact, this is becoming so common. You may not have heard this term, but you will eventually. It's becoming so common in evangelicalism for people to walk away from the faith that instead of evangelical, it's becoming exvangelical. That term is out there today. There's a movement talking about becoming exvangelical. And what that's talking about simply is this. It's walking away from the principle of God's word. As a matter of fact, if you go through the census reports anymore, uh, there are more N-O-N-S listed as far as religious affiliation, nuns, than there are people that claim to be Christian anymore. We are not living in a Christian society anymore. People are walking away. And church, it is ever more important for us that we do not quit. We have to be in God's house. We have to be in God's word. We have to be following the principles of God's word. Because the power in the day and age that we live in is that when you start playing and you keep playing the games, you keep playing the games, you'll be sucked into the world. You'll be sucked into the world. It's happening like crazy. And we need to make sure that we need to escape temptation by not getting into sin. We need to walk by faith and not by sight. We need to live the principle of God's word. We need to live the lo- in love and grace to this world. And we must, beyond all everything else, we must share the good news of Jesus Christ through our lives and through our words. We cannot quit. This is why it is so imperative that we, as never before, step into the role as the servant of God, that we escape temptation, that we walk by faith, completely trusting and obeying God, because Jesus is the one that said these words. Jesus said this, in the same way, let your light shine before others. Matthew 5, 16, it's on the screen for you, thank you. Let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works, and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The Apostle Paul put it this way, You are the only Bible most people will ever read. The way you live your life, the priorities of your life, the things that are important to you are seen daily by the world, by your family, by your friends. They know. They know if the things of God are important in your life. They know if you put things before God and others. They know if you're just playing the game. They know it. And they have no problem calling you out on it. And what is our defense? And what God is saying here is that we are called. He is God. We are his servants. We are to live this way so that the world will see our light, see our faithfulness, see us following God, and they will be 
uh, changed. They will be um, convicted by the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is the one who convicts those who are sin. They will see our lives and they'll be changed as a result. The second thing I think so uh, applicable for us is to stay on tasks. The servant had things to do. He couldn't get off. He couldn't, he couldn't move off. And it kind of just really doubles up on this. But we need to stay focused. Church, we need to stay focused. It is so, so easy for us to be pulled into what's going on around us that we completely forget about God. Not just the bad things that are going on. We're so caught up in the fun, so caught up in the things, so caught up in the possessions. we got to have this, we got to have that, we got to go here, we got to do this, and all this stuff. And God gets put way, way to the back. And God says, man, no, uh, you need to put me first. Keep the things, keep me first. And I promise you, I, listen, I promise you, I've never had anybody say, listen, I put God first in my life and my life fell apart. I've had people say it's not easy. I've had people say it's difficult. But I've always had people say it's worth it. I've always had people tell me this is worth it. And when I do the same in my life, and I'm not perfect in this, no one is. But when my life is right, when I got God first in my life, that is when my life goes <laughs> better than it ever does. Why? Because, hey, I'm doing it right. No, no, because I'm following and I'm holding on to my God. To my God who's in control and in charge. Church, I believe this with all of my heart. I'm as convinced as I have ever been before. With all of the technology, with all the things that we are seeing, with the blatant, flat-out lying that, that we are seeing today, the boldness of sin, the boldness of evil, we are in the last seconds of the last seconds of the prophetic clock that is going to strike zero, and Jesus is coming again. He's coming, which means two things. If you're saved and you know Him, praise God, we're going. But number two, that means we never have another opportunity. We never have an opportunity to live right in front of that loved one that needs Jesus. We never have an opportunity to tell the gospel to that loved one that needs Christ. We, we, that, that person, that coworker we work with, that we respect, we never have an opportunity again to share the gospel with them. We never have an opportunity to talk to our neighbor again, to tell them about Jesus. Why? Because we, we are gone. And I thank you and I praise you. Church, I praise you for giving such a rousing amen when you recognize that Jesus is coming again, but you can say amen all day in here. What are you doing out there? That preacher gets all amped up, and we're going to say amen, and then we're going to go out, and our TV is going to be more important, our stuff is going to be more important, our time is going to be more important, uh, our life is going to be more important, and we'll add God in when it's okay. We're the servants. He's the master. The master comes first. And the last thing I just want to show you as application, leading right into that. This is simply who we are. You can't change it. You can try. Well, I don't like God being God over me and telling me what to do. Then you can go off and try to be your own God and you will spend eternity in hell. God will let you. You want to do your own thing? Go do your own thing. That's fine. You can go do your own thing, but you'll spend eternity in hell, separated from me for eternity. Go ahead. But if you have claimed, if you have said, I want salvation, I want heaven as my home, Lord Jesus, I want you to be Savior of my life, I want you to be come in and the terminology is be Lord of my life. Lord means you do not argue, you do not complain, you do not say no. 
Do you understand that? Romans 10, 9, and 10, we quote that all the time, that if we believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, what does it mean? That Jesus is Lord. That we are not just saying, Lord, Lord, give me my fire escape so I can go to heaven. We're saying, Jesus, be Lord of my life now. I will follow you now. I will obey you now. I will put you first in my life now. That is salvation. Lord, be, be Lord of my life. It's not the fact that, hey, I've got my fire escape, and then when I get there, it's all going to be okay, and then I'll put you as Lord because I have no other choice. No, he's saying it's you, if you are genuinely a follower of Jesus Christ, then the Holy Spirit is inside of you going, yes, 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 this is what you need, this is what you need. You need to put God first, put me first, that's what he's saying. And can you hear me right now? If that's not what's resonating with your heart, you better check your heart. Because I'm telling you, those three pastors that I just mentioned a little bit ago, they would have told you that they accepted Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior. They would have told you they were saved. And I'm telling you, because they could walk away, because they could walk away, they never knew Jesus. I promise you. They never knew Him. This is who we are. God is God. We are not. God is God, and we are the servant. And we must always remember that. And God being God means this, means that He is Master, He is Lord, we are to obey, we are to do what He tells us to do. But here's the kicker, here's the real, real great thing that God does for us, and that is this, when we obey, He empowers us to do it. When we obey, He empowers us, He strengthens us, and He blesses us in doing it. When we do what He tells us to do. As a matter of fact, there's a song that we sing, I love this song. It's called Great Are You, Lord. Listen to the chorus of it. It says this. It says, it's your breath, God's breath. It's your breath in our lungs. So it's your breath in our lungs. So what? I pour out my praise to you. Why? Because it's your breath in my lungs. If you're a genuine follower of Jesus Christ, you know why you obey him? Because the Holy Spirit is in you prompting you to do it. If you struggle in obeying God, then you need to check whether or not the Holy Spirit is in you prompting you to do it. Now, we sin, we're in the flesh, the Holy Spirit can be in us, we can be saved, and we can still live like the world, absolutely, but the but Bible tells us plainly that when we do, we will be chastised, and He will pull us back. If there's no chastisement of the Holy Spirit in your life, and no pulling back to God in your life, then you had better check, because I'm telling you right now, you could be in church from the day that you're born to the day that you die, and die and go to hell without knowing Jesus Christ. You can play the game, you can look the part, you can say the right words, you can pray the prayers, you can do all of it in the flesh. You need to know that you know that you know God. It's His breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise. We pour out our praise. It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise. If you have Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you know that you're the servant, He's the master, and you revel, listen now, revel in being in that. Because I know my God is so good, I want to do anything and everything He wants me to do. And He will empower me to do it. He enables me to do it. So Jesus says, listen, these are the basic requirements of being a Christian. And that Christian term today has just become so flippant. Let me use this. These are the requirements of being a follower of Jesus Christ. This is what you should look like as a person that genuinely has put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You should have a love for the principles of the Word of God. You should be obedient to what God tells us to do in our lives. You should follow it willingly, obediently, 
And that should be the desire of your heart. If it's not the desire of your heart, then there's a problem. There's a question. God is God. We are not. So we are to be what? Last slide this morning. We are to be a humble servant. That is our position. That is our identity. That is who we are in Jesus Christ. So let me ask you, are you a humble servant to God? As a humble servant, are you willingly obeying? Are you willingly living? Are you willingly surrendering yourself to God? Would you stand with me this morning? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for the truth of your word. <laughs> I'm so thankful that you are God, that you are in control, and that you do give us the strength and the power that we need to do what you've called us to do. God, I'm not saying that any of this is easy. Oh, Lord, I don't want anybody to think that I've got this all together. I certainly don't. But God, I pray that it is our heart's desire, our passion, to put you in the place of preeminence, to put you in the place as our master, and we humbly, willingly, lovingly, and excitedly obey your word and serve you. Because, Lord, it is not only going to be the best thing in our life, but it is going to be what you use to draw a lost and dying world to you. Oh, God, let us recognize that our actions most often speak louder than words. And this world is watching. And what they're watching for is they want to see if we're real, if we're genuine. They want to know not only if we are, but if you are God. Oh, God, make us a church. Make us a church that lives out your principles so that when Montello and Oxford and Westfield and Escoro and Coloma, when the people of these communities see us in these communities, they will say, there is someone that knows that they know God, and I want to know what they know. Oh, God, use us in these dark days. Let us shine bright in these dark days, I pray. And we'll give you all the praise and the honor and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.